Hello and welcome to Mistakes Were Made with me, Alex Steger. And me, Frank Talbot. Today on the pod, we are joined by Shannon Sakoshia. And I think I've pronounced that right. She did give us instructions. I forgot them, but I think we're, we're in the ballpark. Um, and Shannon, the part of her name I can definitely say, uh, is the CIO of Boston Private Wealth, a large RAA here in the US. Um, I thought, you know, she was brilliant, frankly. She was a great guest. Yeah, I, I, re- I really liked her, not least because uh, she um, shared my penchant for, for where to invest. But you have to wait till the end until she divulges that. Yeah, although I would say some of that's given away by the name of the podcast, Mistakes Were Made. So, you know, <laughs> pick an area that hasn't done well for the last 10 years, guys, and, you, and you've sort of got it. Um, the other thing she spoke about, which I really enjoyed, was uh, the dangers of backing sort of breakaway portfolio managers. So these star managers, when they leave, set up their own shop, you think, this is it, get in on the ground floor and go with them. Uh, and I kind of think of that as a bit of a sort of a holy grail for fund selectors. They often love those stories when they go right. But as we found out, they don't always go right. Yeah, she she had a lot of clarity on this subject, particularly the, the kinds of questions that you need to ask portfolio managers when they're setting up the shop of their own. Yeah, no, I thought I thought that was particularly uh, helpful. Uh, and I think the last thing that I enjoyed was, you know, she named names. Now, look, as a journalist, sometimes you say to people to get the interview, you're like, oh, you don't have to name names. But in the back of your head, you're thinking, come on, tell us who they were. And Shannon did that. So I like her for that. Um, and without further ado, here is our interview with Shannon Sokochia. Thank you so much for joining us, Shannon. Now, we should start as we start every one of these interviews by asking our guests uh, about one or some of the worst investment mistakes that they've made and crucially, what they learned from it. So Shannon, over to you. So this is a really interesting question, but I actually think it parallels the changes that we've seen in the investment management industry and and what we do as allocators over the course of the last 15 years or so. Um, So, you know, my my probably biggest mistake and, and fortunately, it wasn't uh, incredibly detrimental to our clients, but it certainly was detrimental to me and and, and our process was, um, you know, I think prior to the financial crisis, one of the things that we felt as allocators was that we were always looking for that star manager, um, that guy with the gut, the person that was really going to be able to to create a portfolio that was so differentiated because of their skill level. And I think that there was a, you know, probably at this point, you know, 15 years later or so, obviously there was a misconception about how much those individuals were actually supported by their broader teams and the resources they had. But at the time, what you were seeing is you were seeing a number of these managers that grew what they said were, you know, was frustrated with, you know, kind of the larger asset management firms that they worked in. And many of them were spinning out on their own to run their own strategies and and sort of make their start their own shop, if you will. Um, And, you know, we were caught up in that. We thought the idea of an emerging manager, someone that was, you know, no longer under the handcuffs of the you know, despotism of the of the asset management industry, you know, would really be able to come up with something that was really differentiated. And following, you know, several of these individuals, um, what we found over the course of a couple of years was that it was really difficult for them to 
hang up their own shingle and grow a business. Um, and despite the fact that we'd seen sort of successive failures <laughs> of, of several of these individuals, um, we ended up investing and being a day one investor actually um, in a mutual fund uh, by one of these individuals. And, um, you know, the biggest thing that I learned from that experience is first and foremost, it's, it's great to be early. Uh, probably not always to be first, particularly if you have a, a broader client base or you're an allocator. It sometimes can be very challenging to be sort of the first one in the door. The second thing that I learned, and I think it's something that we have incorporated in our process across the board from you know company selection to manager selection, is that there's a big difference in being an investor um, and being able to run a company. And I think, you know, you see this in the C-suite, right? You have the CFO and you have the CEO and you have the strategic, you know, CEO and then you have the CFO who pays the bills, right? And thinks about how you want to allocate your capital, you know, in, in, a, in a responsible way. And what we found with this particular individual is that having his own firm was very much about having his own firm. Um, and it was, um, Wait, there was so, a lack sort of, of humility. Some sort of ego involved here? Are you, are so, yeah, you, are we real lack of humility. Are we talking um, about the same industry? <laughs> I can't believe this. But, I, you know, I think what I found was that, you know, in the years of being a star investor, uh, many of these fund managers are led to believe that they are so skilled that whatever, you know, they tried to do that they would be successful in. And rather than taking a step back and humbling himself a bit to say, you know, I don't know much about going out and raising money. I don't know much about building a business or building a team or building an infrastructure. Um, it was about, I, I'm the smartest investor in the room and now I have my own room and don't you want to be in the room with me? And um, unfortunately, that. That didn't resonate with other that room, that room wasn't as fun as they thought. Yeah, <laughs> it, was not, it was not. It was not the party that people wanted to be at. And what was really, what I took away from that experience, um, and because it really wasn't about the lack of money being raised, it, it was more about the way it was handled. You know, it was you know never taking any accountability for that. Never thinking about perhaps I you know need somebody to come in who has business acumen who can help me raise money and help me to, to structure a team and an infrastructure that institutional investors can get comfortable with. It was, people just don't understand my story, um, but they will come eventually. And so the major thing I took away from that is, you know, to really think about when you're investing with a team or with a firm or with a fund, you know, how, is there is there an organizational structure? Is there a foundation that actually allows the investor, the portfolio manager, and or the team to be able to do what they do best, which is invest? Um, so questions about what are you doing for distribution? Who's running the back office? You know, how are you thinking about technology? The managers never want to talk about that. They want to the talk about stuff. well, I know I know how to pick investments, but actually. What will happen is that they will become distracted from selecting those investments by all of those other things that I just mentioned. And so they, if they're knowledgeable and humble enough to ask for outside help, then that leads us to a better conclusion in our mind and a better outcome for our clients. Dude, that, that makes perfect sense. So I have two, I have two key follow-ups. So one, 
One I think you may answer, one I think you may not answer. So the first one is, I mean, who who was it? Who are we talking about? <laughs> can, can you say? We can cut around it if, if it needs to be off the record. Um, it was, uh, it was, I, no, it can, we could say that it was, uh, we could probably say that it was somebody from Tradewinds. It was Paul Heckmer out of Tradewinds. Um, this was probably, I want to say after the financial crisis, um, and he had developed quite the track record for a long time. It was David Samra and Paul Heckmer, and they were really battling it out between Tradewinds and Artisan, um, for your international dollars, right? And um, it was not dissimilar to Gunlock's departure um, in that there was, it seemed like there were a lot of things under the surface. And then when you would talk with Paul about why he left Tradewinds, um, in retrospect, with a, you know, kind of a different lens to the way the world works today, I would have had a lot more concerns about that narrative than I did at the time. Um, because again, I think we were all caught up in that, you know, these managers are being hindered by distribution. They're being asked to do too many sales calls. They're, the strategies aren't flexible enough. Um, but in the end, it, it sounds like, you know, there were some you know, questions about the way he was running his team, the way he was running his product, about him personally. And I should have acknowledged those questions at the time and incorporated them more into my decision process. We sort of touched on this specifically what, I guess specifically what went, what went wrong. You, was it there weren't, you were an early investor and not enough people came in so you were too big an investor yeah. and then couldn't get out so, or the performance was bad? <laughs> what, was, what, was, what, what was the, the, the problem? All of the above? Um, no, so the biggest problem was is that the fund did not grow. And so we ended up being much too sizable a concentration in the mutual fund. Um, and eventually, you know, from an economics per economic perspective, the fund was, was no longer viable. And so we actually had to exit the fund, you know, because they were closing it. And ter the ter terminations are always very challenging, right? Because you have no, you really have no control over tax consequences. And that narrative with your client is always a, a difficult one to sort of craft. And, you know, frankly, the, just the entire process felt, um, it, it just felt like we were, we were being very transparent about our desire to want to be a partner. And we didn't get that partnership in, in, in return. And so, um, again, you know, the, the, the performance aspects of it, and it certainly is, you know, different than something in the private space where there's, you know, several years it can take to unwind. Um, but I think for us, it left a bad taste in our mouth in terms of, you know, again, just being able to talk to clients about balancing that desire to be with emerging teams and emerging managers and people who are doing something different, but also the reality that, you know, from a fiduciary standpoint, you know, this wasn't the best outcome, despite the fact that we had done, you know, significant due diligence and, and all the work that we would normally do associated with the investment. So this this sort of has parallels with the, an event that happened in the UK with a manager called Neil Woodford. I, I don't think you'd be aware of him. He's, uh, he was a big deal here. I mean, it, the, probably the best known portfolio manager in Europe. And uh, he set up his own shop. And he used to be an, an Invesco in the UK before. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, he was he was Invesco, uh, UK equity manager, phenomenal, you know, really made a succession of incredible calls over a long career, built up a huge following, 
uh, and and decided to leave Invesco, start his own company, eponymously named, and it all pretty much went went wrong from there. I was gonna say, yeah, I think he had like two, he had like two good years, didn't he? he so like yeah, no, he, he had he had a couple of good years, but he ended up straying into yeah, he ended up, raised a ton of money, ended up straying into small cap. So slight different story in mm-hmm. that was you wouldn't have been the only investor, but. Yeah, it's, it's certainly similar. Was it was it a case of style drift, doing something that they didn't know how to do as much as not running, being able to run the company? I I think what happened was actually it was a it was a determination that moving out of that firm that had hindered him in terms of things like concentration limits, um, being able to take larger bets. Uh, it was taken to the nth degree. So I would say it was it's, uh, differences in construction um, that, you know, he, I think he felt like, well, if I'm going to do this and I'm going to go out on my own, all of those things that I said were hindering me previously, I need to make sure I'm doing them and, and you know, really doing them with conviction in this new vehicle. And I, I think, frankly, I mean, that was, that was really challenging because to your point about, um, whether you think about it in terms of style drift or just tracking or just a different experience for investors going from that product to the new product, you're right. I mean, it was an expanded mandate. It was, you know, just, a, you know, different parameters around construction um, and it didn't work. And And that was the thing is that I think what happened was I think that investors would have been more patient or engaged with him in this new venture if it had not been so wildly different from what he'd been doing previously. And so again, going back to that hubris, it was about, you know, well, you should just trust me. And if the results aren't there and the delivery from a client service perspective isn't there and the assets aren't there, it gets really, there's just too many checks in the cons column to, you know, offset the pros of, a, of to your point, a long tenured career with a lot of really solid years of performance. So so once the sort of comfort blanket of the uh, asset management despots, as you call them, was, was taken away, they sort of crack, cracked under the pressure. So that's, that's the mistake. Have you seen examples where managers going it alone have done phenomenally well? Have you got in on those? I have. Or have we you had, missed I out mean, on them because of this? Has no, you, bur- have you burnt you in more so, ways than one? <laughs> both. Both, I would say. Um, and actually, um, there's a really interesting firm here um, called Vulcan Value Partners here in the United States. Yeah, and they formed um, concurrent with this situation that I was dealing with. And I loved the firm. And I loved the roots that they had. Um and so I thought about in terms of style, they fit really well in our portfolios. Uh, but I was burned at the time by this. And so we sort of danced for a while and we never really committed a significant amount of capital because I was concerned. It was the same situation. Do you want to be a first day investor in our new fund? We Do you want to have, you know, we can give you, you know, SMA access. And and I, I just got worried. But what I... In retrospect, now that I think about it, you know, the person that was calling me to talk about the business was not part of the PM team. They had hired, they had done everything that I said you should do, right? Building infrastructure, building a business team. Um, And I would say that that, you know, over the course of the last several years, we have invested in some newer 
uh, managers. And I would tell you that the question we often have for them now is, you know, are you worried about the burn rate on the infrastructure that you built because your assets are still really small for the infrastructure that you built? So I feel like a managers have 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 learned and listened that we don't want to be worried about your business. We want to be worried about the portfolio and we want you to be worried about the portfolio. But that's a great example of something that I feel like I missed because of what else was happening in our portfolio at the time. And perhaps my second guessing of, you know, I, I don't want to make another mistake and maybe I go safe with this pick. It worked out fine in retrospect, but it, you know, Vulcan would have been a better option for us at the time. And I feel like you've been, well, you've been very open and honest, so thank you. We spent a lot of time on that, on, on, on that mistake. And I think it's only fair that we offer all our, all our guests the opportunity <laughs> to brag as well. So, you know, and some, some people, you know, relish the brag more than others. But is there an investment decision, whether, whether professional or indeed personal, that you've made over the years that, that just like the mistake sort of stands out for, for, I don't know, for, for good reasons that sort of may, you know, you, you wish um, you could repeat, frankly, or? Yeah, I, I'll give you both. I'll give you a professional and personal decision. Um, WCM is a very well-known manager, um, and we met with them when they, I think they had $200 million in their international product, and we started using it. And um, it, so being a long-term investor there, understanding their culture, which is incredibly different than a traditional asset management shop, understanding what they were trying to do there, trusting that they were going to be able to move from small cap, which was really their, that was how the firm started, to an international product, and that they were going to support Peter in that growth of that product was, you know, a, a, a great decision, but one we spent a lot of time on for several years because it was a, it was a slow roll for them. Um, and just really quickly, uh, one Peter, is that the, the you mentioned? Hunkle. And have I got this right? WCM are the, the are they Laguna Beach? Is that yeah? Is it those guys? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just sort of surfers, yeah. kind of taking it. Yeah, um, well, they add, no, and 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 they they that was very different. Um, it was a very different. They they were in Laguna in basically a house wearing sandals. Wearing sandals had a culture. They have a culture officer. It, it's. It's not Wall Street, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but they were so committed to this strategy and so committed to building out a team around it. And it's it. Yeah, they still are. I mean, and, and that's the thing is that they're still very committed to delivering, you know, delivering a portfolio the way that they deliver it. And they're not, they haven't lost that culture they haven't lost that entrepreneurial spirit got it and Despite you were gonna so, I, I interrupted you sorry you were gonna say something about on the on the personal side no yeah i was gonna say personally um you know i think when you i think the one thing that i've learned from all of these manager meetings um because i used to do hundreds a year and um the one thing that i learned back in the day i started <laughs> i started to look for things in the managers um you know, openness, new ideas, uh, humility, and just applying those personally uh, has has been something that I've learned. I, I can't tell you how 
amazing it's been, particularly as more and more allocators and investors are online on Twitter, on LinkedIn, sharing ideas, um, admitting where we fall short, admitting where we need to learn more, and having the confidence to be able to do that, that professional growth that you can aspire to by talking with other people in this industry, um, it's it's unlike anything else, I think, that I could do. I mean, I could meet, read a million books, and I do. Um, frankly, I, you know, I'm lucky that people uh, I know are, write, are, are writers, because <laughs> I'm always reading a book by someone I know. Um, but I think that just being able to utilize your network um, and grow professionally and be open to new ideas and do things like this, like admit when you're wrong. I mean, I, I can't tell you how challenging it is to work with people who are never wrong. Um, and, you know, that that humility, whether it's with your clients or with your team or with other allocators and other investors, it goes a long way. Have you, have you ever, I mean, you mentioned ego. I mean, that's kind of what it's about. Have you walked into a meeting with a portfolio manager and known immediately that that was not the type of person that you yes. wanted to go into business with? Absolutely, yeah. Many and, times? And, um, enough times to know that it was going to not work. Um, I, at the heart, the most challenging thing is when you have to tell, uh, a, you know, a, a friend who's in kind of marketing or wholesaling and saying, you know, just that this is not going to work. Um, but I've always been very candid about that feedback. Uh, but I have specific questions. I mean, I have those, those kind of questions in my pocket. Um, I can tell you, I've never hired anybody who was unable to tell me about a mistake. And the number of managers out there who, when you ask them what they're, when you ask them the same question you've asked me today, what was my biggest mistake? They don't have an answer. We make mistakes in investing every day. Just pick one. Pick the one you made yesterday. <laughs> do they, what do they it's say? It's not that hard. If anything, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Uh. <laughs> Things like that or... We don't like to call them mistakes. You know, it's sometimes the thesis change. No, we all, I mean, we make mistakes. This happens. Um, do, you, it, it, <laughs> do you find that the management meetings are useful for that? So I don't want to pick on him, but I'm going to pick on him. Daniel Crosby, I don't know if you're familiar with, with, with Daniel. Who's a, I know um, Daniel very so, well. So yeah. he, he was our first guest and he, he was an excellent guest and we loved having him on. Yeah. I, I, think his, I think his episode is still number one most listened to, so... Shout out I here. Can't, before, I can't imagine why. He's before so I slam great. him. So he said, yeah. uh, he said um, that manager meetings, you know, they, don't, they don't add value. That, um, that you can't really necessarily... And he did say that he's out on a limb on this and no I one would agree with I just wanted to show you, my, my computer is actually like sitting on his book. So oh, fantastic. There you go. It's, yeah, uh, the computer's <laughs> sitting on it, so you don't have to actually read it. You haven't read it. Yeah, just, just use it as a prop. I told you, I have um, a lot of friends who write books. No, just kidding. No, it's awesome. <laughs> But um, we should just have sort of everyone on the pod is somehow linked. So that's fine. Um, but but yeah, so he sort of made this point that, that it can be hard to actually get, um, I suppose, useful information from the meeting. Either that actually a lot of what you know about the strategy can be gleaned beforehand. And that often meetings add their biases. For example, you spend money going there, you form relationships, you sort of, you know, it adds some biases to decision making and things. Now, most uh, fund buyers we spoke to, or fund selectors, whatever the right term is, obviously dispute this, and um, and I'm sure there's you know merit to both arguments. But I'm interested in you. Obviously, you do go into a meeting, and you can tell about the personality, and the personality matters. So I would say that 
the way that I look at that is that I have made at least a, an early judgment. If I'm going in there to do real due diligence, if, if we're going to go in there and actually look at something to potentially add them to the platform, um, there's a difference between just being introduced to a manager and actually having done some work on them. So I would say we go in there with an investment thesis already defined in our mind. And, you know, talking with the manager directly allows us to pull things out to determine if some of the things that were emphasized in their materials are marketing emphasis or actual process emphasis. And so that's, that's to me, sort of the most important thing. And then trying to determine how they think about what they do. But I would say a level of engagement is very important. And I think a level of engagement the level of engagement with the manager about things like their team and succession and the way that they think about, you know, how their strategy fits into an overall portfolio. I think that's difficult to glean from materials. With that said, I think it's very challenging to go into a meeting cold. Like I, I never really liked that, you know, if, if it was, um, and I, that's why I think conferences are hard because it gives you an opportunity to meet a lot of different people, a lot of different managers in particular. But if I'm not prepared, that's not going to be a, a really beneficial meeting for me because I, I'm not sure where I want to put my emphasis. So then it feels more like a checkbox. And I would say, if anything, you know, the institutional style, this is the question I ask next. This is the question. We could go anywhere and when I talk to a manager, but it's generally I generally try to focus on things that I think are most relevant based on what I think the investment thesis is, but also what's been sort of put out there as the the value proposition. No, that makes perfect sense. I think look, we can all agree, Daniel, you know, he's making up as he goes along. He's got, you know, no, I'm joking. Uh, it's a very good it's a very good No, book. he's oh. he's fantastic. And honestly, I do think that we are seeing um some of this behavioral finance, it's bleeding into the way that portfolios are managed. It's bleeding into the way that relationships are managed um, with people like me. You know, what are the touch points that we need to make us feel confident and comfortable? Um, so I, I love it that that's happening, but it's just new. It's new for a lot of people because they're used to going in and, and checking the boxes because frankly, in, an, in a more institutional world, that was the most important thing. Um, well, look, Shannon, thank you so much. I think we're sort of coming up to the, the time that we, we, we have allotted. Unless there was anything else I, I was, that you wanted to, to say in particular or that we haven't covered that you, that you wanted to? Any other massive mistakes? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I make mistakes every day. I have been a, um, a raging emerging markets bull for 10 years. Same with Frank. And Frank's the same. Sure, I'm, I'm behind you there, totally. Uh, it's like, you know, my personal portfolio. I mean, fortunately, we've ha I've had some barbell of some other stuff that's done well because, I mean, it, it looks like I just live in Asia. So um, so that's been, you know, more an allocation mistake. Um, but one I own up to and one that, honestly, I try to get tempered by my team. They, yeah. you know, they, they help me to see that maybe we don't need to have 
you know, 3x the benchmark weight in emerging markets. But I what, believe it. What do you, Frank? You're like you're pretty much you're pretty much all China in your in your personal. Yeah, yeah pretty much, pretty much in, <laughs> entire entirely Asia. Unfortunately, I didn't quite have the barbell because I wasn't massively overweight U.S. equities like I assume you were, Shannon, which obviously helped in the last decade. But it won't. It's you know, if we were talking, if we were talking in 2006 when some of these events started to transpire that I discussed, um, you know, my clients were yelling at us for having anything in the U.S. They were like, "We should be all, all Europe, all China." Um, so it just and all, all on all oil producers. If you yeah, remember, was so that was where yeah, you that, needed to be. State owned oil. That wasn't a great call. So wait, so with the next the next decade is the emerging decade. Is that what you're saying? I, that's what I'm going with. Double down. I, I just yeah, I have to feel com- I have to feel excited about. Um, I don't know all this stimulus. Like I don't. I I feel like there's a. I feel like the consumer, you know, uh, rural to urban transition in China. I think it's coming. Um, and I think it's going to come really fast now um, over the next five to 10 years now that they've really tamped down the property bubble. So. Thanks all in as going. well. Very excited. So we'll I can be wrong about it in 10 years. <laughs> we'll come back. We'll do a pod in 10 years ago. Another, yeah, another, exactly. another million mistakes. Fantastic. Well, that was our interview with Shannon. Now, as we said in the introduction, Frank, quite a few things to take from that. And I think the first one um is probably the obvious one, the sort of the dangers of backing those those breakaway managers, those star PMs when they set up their own shops and how actually um, it's not as simple as just they were a good investor at a big firm, therefore they're going to be as good, if not better, when they go alone. Yeah, that, uh, that temptation to, to blindly follow a manager as they set up a new shop. You know, while these portfolio managers might be outstanding at picking businesses, that obviously doesn't make them good at business themselves. And we've actually heard a lot of people talk about this before. But what Shannon articulated really well for me was that you've really got to understand what infrastructure is around them. I've never really paid too much attention to the parent section of a Morningstar fact sheet where they where they rate the asset manager. Um, but maybe in future, I'll, I'll look into that a little further, particularly when it's a breakaway uh, shop. And it comes back to that point that we keep hearing from our guests is that, you know, always know and understand what you are buying. You know, so, so many of our guests, you know, mistakes, they revolve around that particular issue, be it in different guises. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, isn't it? Because, you know, you think if you are buying the strategy from that new firm, you, you're buying the whole firm, basically. You're buying the manager, you're buying everything that, that goes with it. And, and that's probably not something you, yeah, when you're, when you're picking funds from a, from a giant that isn't something you just ever have to consider um but no i i thought that was fascinating and and obviously the other thing that we've heard a lot from our guests is the role of ego in in decision making and um or you know when picking managers and again a, a different area where a manager's ego can be a problem so not just around them um sort of having a lot of hubris about their stock picking skills but then also just not being humble enough to acknowledge that they can't run a business or that they need to even answer questions on the business side of things and stuff. So again, kind of um, just just managers' egos. There's just no end to where they can cause problems, I suppose. Yeah, she'd, she'd have experience that I'm sure you and certainly I have had is that you're interviewing a portfolio manager and you ask them what's gone wrong re- recently and they give you the politician's answer and they spin it into a positive or they, they say that was all part of the process. You know, we kind of expected this might happen instead of just admitting, listen, we made a mistake. Yeah, 
Although I suppose this podcast is essentially letting people spin their mistakes <laughs> into positive. So maybe we should... For the listener, of course. For the listener, yeah. For the benefit of the listener. Um, no, I thought that was great. Um, and okay, we talked about this at the beginning. You both share a penchant for uh, investing badly in emerging markets. Or investing well in emerging markets. But, but, but it hasn't been a good decision for the last few years. Yeah, so we, we've both been o- overweight Asia and that's actually turned out to be a bad decision. But what I liked about what she said on this was that, you know, let your colleagues and friends, you know, measure your uh, excitement over a particular investment. And that comes back to what Daniel Crosby said at the beginning, which was that if you're excited about investment, it's probably a bad idea. So maybe half that allocation and half it again. <laughs> <laughs> you get it right I don't know I still think it's a good decision long term um, also shout out to Daniel Crosby I think we mocked him or, or we, we, I put in a little uh, cheap shot at Crosby at one point in there uh, which was only meant with respect so Daniel if you're listening come on we're still friends and on that note thank you all very much for listening to another episode and it's goodbye from me Alex Steger and goodbye from me Frank Talbot mm-hmm.